but when I'm focusing on work and and uh, I'm transported into this, like you, you call them like little worlds, right? Yeah. You really do. You get transported into this world, whether you're editing or writing it, you get transported into it. And then all that pain is back in the real world. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Beyond the Manuscript. As always, I am your host, Cooper Anderson. And in case you didn't know, Beyond the Manuscript is available everywhere you can find your podcast. And if you like what I do here, please, for me, hit that like, subscribe, follow, all of the buttons. It's really going to help out the channel. Okay, so now let's get into it. My guest today is a horror and dark fiction writer, a Splatterpunk Award nominated freelance editor. He is the publisher and editor in chief at Crystal Lake Torrid Waters. He has published over 100 short stories and 13 novels and novellas, as well as a handful of nonfiction books for children and poetry. He has also edited 10 anthologies, with his 11th coming out in 2024. Please welcome my guest, Mr. Kenneth W. Kane. How are we doing today, Kenneth? Good. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I am excited. You know, um, yeah. So like, uh, I, I had a couple of friends recommend your work to me, and then I did a couple of research, and I'm just really, really fascinated because not only are you a pretty accomplished author, but you're also uh, in management as well. You know, you're you're editing stuff, you're approving stuff, and everything. So yeah, I really wanted to get your opinion and get you on the show. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. So to kind of jump right into it, um, I, I wanted to start off talking about short stories. Short stories have a special place in my heart since they were my first steps into creative writing. And, you know, last year you came out with your own short story collection, uh, the titles of uh, Hell, Delaware. Uh, what is it about the format of short stories that you think might have an advantage storytelling wise over something like a novel? The thing I love about um, short stories is uh, that you learn conservation of words, right? Often um, for submission calls, you have a range that you have to hit word count wise. And um, I'm a little bit freer with that. Like I just write and I let the story be whatever it's going to be. But if I get a story that I think is going to fit, then it's all about word conservation. And then you really learn how to take, you know, all that, I call it word fat, you know, like all that word fat you have in a story and just... (laughs) you know, put the, the story on a diet and, uh, and then you, you learn how to make, um, your, your, uh, your prose a lot more concise and to the point. So that's what I love about short stories is packing all of that, mm-hmm. that detail into a shorter form is great. Yeah. It's like a good, like nutrient dense loaf instead of, uh, you know, like a regular meal that you would get from a, from a you know, full novel. Right. And it really helps. It helps you write that longer fiction as well, you know, because I mean, you, you know, you, you can get a little long in the tooth with longer fiction, right? <laughs> yeah. So it helps you with that word conservation and staying on point. So. Sure. I, I agree. Cause I, I tell a lot of people who I've coached with writing and stuff before that if they're just starting out to start with short stories and then use those as ways of learning storytelling, because if you master something like a short story, you can then kind of extrapolate that or expand it to novel length a lot of times where you know you have to hit these certain story beats, 
you know how to uh, deliver a satisfying ending, etc. Um, so instead of you know spending a lot of time writing a whole novel, people can actually just condense that into writing a multiple short stories and tend to learn a little bit faster. I think. Yeah, I agree. And it's all about refining your prose, right? I mean, you're you're taking your voice and you're just trying to make it succinct. And I think that's important, uh, important, uh, important phase in, in growing as a writer. Uh, do you have a favorite short story? Um, so I, I took this class a long time ago. It was taught by Gary Brombeck and uh, he introduced us to this story. It was about subtext. And he introduced us to this story by Raymond Carver called Little Things. Mm -hmm. um, and it's all about the things that uh, happen in a story that aren't said, right? They're said without being, you know, verbalized in the, in the text. And uh, what a great story. What a great writer, first of all, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you also edited an anthology last year uh, titled Never Wake. Uh, for you, what things are you looking for in a short story that lets you know that it's going to be a good story? Or to kind of maybe put it in a better way for you, what elements of storytelling do you hope to bring out of an author to elevate their writing? So Neverwake is kind of an interesting one because, you know, we fully expected to get like a ton of, uh, you know, Freddy Krueger type stories, you know, the monster that comes and gets you in your dreams. And in actuality, we got the exact opposite of that. <laughs> so we got like zero of those stories and then all these wide ranging uh, topics, um, you know, some even leaning towards sci-fi, you know, mashups and fantasy mashups and it was really interesting so what we looked at doing for because i co-edited that one with a, a writer named tim meyer who's a, a good friend of mine um we looked at showcasing a wide variety of styles we you know because we had so many different types we wanted to show um for that particular anthology a lot of different types of stories that kind of fit together in some way and that was a difficult task you know but it was great because we had so many different types of voices. You know, we had the really surreal stuff and the really uh, poetic form stuff. And then we had the stuff that was like, uh, you know, like second person, you know, fill out this survey type thing. And so we had, we were able to showcase like a very diverse group of stories. And I, and I really enjoyed that anthology. And that's really what it's about, right? Putting together, you're trying to tell a story with an anthology. So you're trying to tell a story with everybody else's stories. Exactly. I accidentally discovered my first short story anthology. It was, uh, maybe this says more about me than anything, but my first one was Fragile Things by Neil Gaiman. And then I realized just kind of how powerful stories, like little little tiny like pocket universes, short stories really can be. Yeah, that's, that's kind of how I found them too. Like uh, back in when I was in uh, high school and college, you know, uh, used bookstores were more prevalent back then. And I had one like locally here that uh, they had like the, the horror section in the basement. So I would go down in this basement. It's literally like <laughs> the very fitting story except in a basement, right? Yeah. <laughs> they had, he had like uh, book stacks on top of cinder blocks and just every kind of horror book you could uh, imagine. And I would trade in my uh, college books for uh, credit to buy those books. So I'd be like down there for like two or three hours reading these books, trying to decide which one was best to get. <laughs> So I know that you primarily write in horror and and what I've noticed in my short time in the publishing world slash book world is that a lot of genre fiction 
keeps getting lumped together as if it were one uh, amorphous blob of shameful stories. Like the most common way to describe this as I can is the fact that whenever you go to a bookstore, you're going to have sci-fi and fantasy in the same section as if they were one in the same, right? And that's not even counting when genre fiction is just kind of dismissed altogether as like, quote, not real writing. And so why do you think this is? I think for a long time, people were like kind of ashamed of the horror word, you know, <laughs> yeah. so they didn't want to have it out in the open and scare people off. But, um, you know, recently I've seen some some of the Barnes and Nobles starting to embrace it and having a horror section, which is really nice. And, and they actually are starting to split the sci-fi and fantasy as well. So um, I do think that part of that is, you know, so many mashups these days. Mm. So sometimes uh, stories, I mean, let's be honest, like, uh, like fantasy, for instance, could contain horror, right? Yeah. yeah. And so they kind of are one and the same in some regards. And so there's some blurry lines in there. And I think that's what kind of happened is uh, what's more offensive, the, the H word or the F word, right? <laughs> in this case, right? <laughs> so I think that putting a branding of fantasy on it just makes it look a little bit kinder to people walking in. But I think now, you know, you see this taken off in like, uh, you know, short story, short story anthologies on uh, series, uh, mm, like Netflix yeah. and so forth. And yeah. so I think it's kind of like propelled things to kind of be a little bit easier to to take in the public setting, I guess, or something. But they are starting to put up some horror sections out there. So hopefully it keeps going and it keeps building. Yeah. One, one of the theories that I've seen out there um, is the the idea that all of the like snobby literary elite they've all retired and then all of the kids who grew up reading like you know the uh the pulp paperbacks of Stephen King or whoever like that kind of stuff is they've grown up and they've taken over these roles and they're like no 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 these are actually really cool because I grew up with them and so I I think that's just slowly the generations are filling spots um, having grown up with different stuff. Yeah, and that's true. And like p people try to, you know, narrow those those genres down. But um, I mean, sometimes you just need a white umbrella, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I, and I like your point earlier, where putting books in specific boxes um, really kind of does the craft of writing a little bit of a disservice. Just because, like you said, the a fantasy book can have horror elements. And um same thing with sci-fi like think of i mean you know I'm, I'm going pop culture but think you know you know just of the movie alien that's 100 percent a horror movie just mm -hmm. set in space and with aliens uh that kind of thing so the blending of elements really kind of blurs the line and i don't think marketing departments of bookstores really like that so they try to push back against that a, a bunch of times and where do you file that on the shelves, right? Do you file it yeah. under sci-fi or do you file it under horror? And, and like you said, it really is horror, right? It's horrific in so many ways, but it has sci-fi elements. So It does, yeah. So one thing I found out about you is that you're a person who is dealing with chronic pain. And so I really wanted to get your perspective on being a creative person while dealing with something like chronic pain where um, you know, there, I'm sure there are going to be bad days where it's going to take all of your focus. It's going to, you know, it's going to demand energy, time, rest a lot of times. And, you know, you trying to be creative while dealing with that. What's that like? So I have this thing called uh, ME. It's like a 
it's like a rare form of fibromyalgia, but I also have like arthritis from playing baseball for so many years and, uh, and I have degenerative disc syndrome. So the ME just tells uh, my brain, everything hurts all the time, hundred mm. percent, you know, and then beyond. So, um, what I tend to do to get through that. And like you said, like some days I just want to lie down and just uh, cry through it. Right. Yeah. Um, because it really wears you down when it gets really bad. And sometimes it's electric pain. Mm. But what I try to do to combat that is I have a very structured day. So I start work uh, as early as possible mm. and I work straight through and that work kind of in a way combats that ME part of it. I still have the pain and I have the discomfort. And so I, you see me adjust a lot or I go like this and I, you know, mm -hmm. I do like little things to deal with the pain, but when I'm focusing on work and, and uh, it just kind of puts it off to the side somewhere, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I'm in this other world. It's almost like a, I'm transported into this, like you, you call them like little worlds, right? Yeah. You really do. You get transported into this world, whether you're editing or writing it, you get transported into it. And then all that pain is back in the real world, you know? Mm. And so yeah. I, that's what I do is I try to, I try to keep myself as busy as possible. So I don't think about it. Mm -hmm. And um, by doing that, I've been able to get through most days and have really productive days um, without having to rely on med medicines for it and so forth. I do take you know some medications for it, but they're not like opiates or anything like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But also like um, when dealing with something like this, um, from what I've seen, because I've had relatives and fran like, uh, friends who are dealing with similar things. And uh, there seems to be this weird kind of like disbelief from the public of, oh, well, how bad could it be? And they don't realize there's a lot of realities when dealing with chronic pain. Um, like, like we mentioned before the show a little bit of like where I've, I've broken a bone before. And when you're dealing with that, you start having to do like trigonometry a lot on just mo moving around your own house of like, uh, you know, okay, it's going to take seven steps to get to the door. It's going to take another five steps to get to the kitchen. Um, you know, how heavy is a glass of water going to be? Can I actually move that back to my couch or my bed or wherever I'm staying. And people don't really think about that a lot. Do you, do you find that true? Yeah. I mean, with the de 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 degenerative disc disease, what I have is I have uh, a lot of nerves getting pinched because mm -hmm. uh, the disc bulge and mm -hmm. then they press on like nerves. And so what ends up happening is my feet go numb a lot. So mm -hmm. you see me move around a lot because I'm adjusting. And that's what I do. Like I adjust my back. And then the numbness goes away and then I adjust it another way. And so I do these things, these little movements to constantly keep things working. And I do exercise, you know, um, to try to limit it, but whatever I do, it's, it's going to be there, right. To yeah. some degree, lesser or greater. And it's, and like you said, it's just about constantly having to um, find ways to limit it. <laughs> yeah. That's really what it's about, you know, and it's, it's real. It's just, uh, you try, you know, you just have to live your life the best you can with with the cards you're dealt, right? Absolutely. So, uh, on top of being an author yourself, you also run an imprint of Crystal Lake Entertainment called Torrid Waters. Uh, what would you say are some of the harder parts on taking on such a massive responsibility of trying to bring other people's books into the world that other people may not know about? Like, what what extra realities come with that? 
So the hardest thing for me is I'm not really good at promoting myself, right? Like on social media, I'm who actually... is like no who 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 loves <laughs> yeah. bragging about themselves online, right? And and not just that, but I'm just like I just don't care for social media. I'd rather be face to face with somebody and talking like we are right now, right? Yeah, yeah. And then uh, so I mostly just post pictures of my dogs. I love my dogs, <laughs> you know. Um, so I'm not really great at promoting my my own work, let alone somebody else's work. I, so it's that's a little bit of a task for me, and uh, and that's when you know, like if I'm editing their book. It's like I go into like that other world and I can really ignore all the pain that I was talking about and focus on work. But when it comes to the social media aspects, I'm not going in that other world at all. I'm just annoyed. And uh, and so that's a really hard part of it for me. And I want to do them justice because they, you know, I've selected these books. I'm doing one book a quarter. Um, all this started, uh, this guy, Richard Allen Scott, was the first book published and he was dying and his dying wish was to be published by Crystal Lake Publishing. Mm. So Joe Meinhardt from Crystal Lake approached me and, he, and uh, you know, we've been talking forever about getting together and me doing some editing work. And he's like, how would you like to do this? And I was like, absolutely. That's my, that's the kind of thing I like to do, you know, to, to help people realize their dreams. So I was like, absolutely. And uh, we worked out this deal for one book a quarter and have, sign books through 2025 already so Can, do you want to talk about those books like i know i know you said sure. you have trouble promoting other people's stuff but what are they because we you know we're here we got well, cameras talk about the, um, so the first one by richard allen scott is called relics from the other underworld that came out last year in on february 16th i have amanda m blake's uh book coming out it's called question not my salt and i haven't got a date for it yet but cheryl lowe's book the wicker witch will be the next one to come out and that's what I'm editing now. Um, these are typically, so the imprint is pulp and extreme horror. So mm -hmm. a little bit edgy. Um, most of the writers, I give the writers an opportunity to provide um, trigger warnings so that readers have an idea of what to expect. But it, it's some, you know, some of it is pretty violent horror, you know? <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, so, uh, you know, reader beware. Yes, exactly. <laughs> if you go check out these books, for sure. So one thing, another thing you mentioned before the show as well is that you're currently working on an, an anthology about clowns and like the fear of clowns and uh, beyond the typical pop culture influences like Stephen King's It or John Wayne Gacy or like the Joker from Batman. What is it about clowns, in your opinion, that people seem to find so terrifying? You know, I think it's just that, um, you know, so like when I'm dealing with my pain, right? People wouldn't really know it because I put on this face. Mm. And I think, so it's kind of like this fake face that I put on. I'm smiling, I'm happy. I have absolutely no pain all the time. And with clowns, it's kind of like they're hidden behind this mask, right? Mm. And there's a, there's actually a short story in my uh, collection, Held Delaware, with this about this very topic, in fact, uh, about a clown hiding his pain behind a mask. Um, childhood yeah. pain that he's carried around for years and years and years. And I think that's the thing is I think that people can't see that real person behind them. And so they wonder, you know, is this someone to be trusted? I mean, we also have examples. Like, for instance, I grew up literally down the street from John Wayne Gacy. Did so, you really? Yes. Yes. Whoa. I used to live in uh, Illinois. <laughs> what were birthday parties on your neighborhood like? <laughs> <laughs> so we weren't close enough for that, but we did have like this 730 curfew and, and everybody ignored it, which was really oh, bizarre. No. Wow. <laughs> Meanwhile, kids are being you know, dragged away and, and yeah. people are ignoring it and cops are yelling at you. And so it was an mm -hmm. interesting 
time period. It was brief, you know, because um, mm-hmm. it was towards the end, I guess. Mm. Um, wow. But I think that that kind of thing existing has scares people and kind of makes clowns extra mm. scary. Yeah. You know, if you know anything about him and his paintings and everything, it just kind of, he leaned into it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, it's another thing too that I find really kind of interesting in the genre of horror where there's a big chunk of it where someone who's creative will take something that's typically associated with childhood and then transform it into a horror element. We, I mean, we just saw this most recently when Steamboat Willie's copyright just ran out and then immediately there was a bunch of like horror video games where you know a distorted version of steamboat willie is the monster you have to fight you see that a lot um where and this is actually one thing that i'm not a big fan of myself is where beyond using childhood associated iconography people or movies or books or whatever will actually use just like children as the scary thing one thing that i don't quite like about that is because it's a lot of times it's kind of written from someone who's like never worked with kids before where <laughs> like yeah kids can just kind of be creepy because they don't know any better and it's i don't know it's it kind of pushes what i think the correct scary thing should be onto kids when and it kind of creates this this kind of like pop culture shorthand that if a kid is um either like antisocial or possibly like autistic it's it's teaching kind of people to kind of avoid them because they've seen scary versions of this in fiction and you know what are your thoughts on that yeah it is a bit exploitive but i I think that um you know like a lot of my fears a lot of the things that i write about are basically things that happened to me in my childhood that i've translated to adulthood right Mm -hmm. um and and often in my stories I, i have children experiencing these things because that's what i went through you know, like in my uh, book, Storm Shadows, I uh, I have these um, shadow people coming out of the walls and uh, coming after this younger person, mm-hmm. uh, a girl. And uh, that's because I had that experience when I was a kid. You know, I had that mm-hmm. shadow person experience and it scared me. So I've carried that into my adulthood. And now I, this is my way of kind of getting through that, right? Kind of processing it. Sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's very cathartic. And that, I think that's what a lot of horror is for people is this, this trying to get through things, you know, mm. trying to resolve things from your past. Gotcha. And to be fair, though, I, I do want to add on a little thing here where if you're a parent or if you work with a lot of kids, I do think it's okay to kind of inoculate kids to scary things with with age appropriate versions of horror to to kind of teach them like okay so yes there are scary things out in the world but if you have the right book um you know it kind of teaches them early that okay you know it's okay to be scared of this um and there's ways of dealing with this and you know the bad things don't always win and it and if you teach them that in fiction it kind of prepares them for any kind of real world stuff they might deal with in the future I think that's what it's all about is learning that you can defeat the evil, right? I mean, sometimes we like to be a little tricky as writers and you don't actually ever defeat the evil, you know, like Freddy Krueger keeps coming back again and again, again, right? (laughs) Uh, And even goes after some of the other uh, historical bad guys, right? (laughs) Yeah. But that's, uh, so sometimes we like to do that. But ultimately, I think all of it's about um, writers uh, addressing issues in their life 
and trying to resolve them for themselves and then showing readers, hey, this can this can be resolved, right? Definitely. Whether or not they're effective with that, you know, that's a whole other thing, right? So sure. Uh, Kenneth, before we go, where can people find your stuff? So you can find me at kennethwkane.com. I have social media links there and all my publishing history, which I need to update evidently, and, and my bios, which I need to update. <laughs> but uh, overall, um, that's pretty much everything. The links to everything is, are there. Cool. And just so everyone knows, there's going to be links in the description down below here as well. Uh, all right. Well, Kenneth, I want to thank you so much for doing this episode. It was really, really fun. Like I said, um, people, if you want to go find his stuff, go to kennethwkane.com. Uh, this episode is brought to you by Manuscripts, where you never write alone. Again, I want to thank my guest, Kenneth W. Kane, one more time, and I hope you have a great week. Thank you for having me.